0: Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And as always, before we jump into the program, I want to introduce
1: my co-host, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? Oh, you know, I'm enjoying another great day of football. That's uh, wall-to-wall football from now on. We're excited for uh, what what's coming after a pretty disappointing preseason game Friday night uh, final cuts are coming up. We've got a TJ Watt contract coming up. There's a lot of great things from this point on, Lance. I'm I'm excited through probably February. And on the TJ Watt
0: contract talk, if TJ Watt does sign a contract while we are doing the show live, of course we will hop and jump to that because that will be the biggest story. But before we get into that, I want to send my thoughts and prayers to anyone in the Louisiana, excuse me, area and the Mississippi area who could possibly be in the path of hurricane Ida. Uh, from what I've been hearing this morning, the advice is to hunker down. So please be safe, hunker down and get through this, uh, and do whatever your local leaders are telling to you, telling you in terms of sheltering in place or whatever you need to do, please be attuned to what your local leadership is telling you. If you have any Steeler fans or any family out there, Steeler fans, please hunker down. Everyone hunker down, be safe, uh, You know, this is very serious. Take it seriously and come out on the other side of it. Before we jump into the program, I want to give a big shout out to uh, a friend of the program. Steelers Landing on Instagram, who's been a great supporter of the show, has posted and said a lot of nice things about the show. So big up to the guys at Steelers Landing. Big up to the guys at Great Dads versus Everybody. Shop Supreme Queen. Nothing but butter and assist to score. I will put all their information on my IG and also on YouTube. So you can get the links to that. And also if you want to participate in the program, make sure you catch us live on YouTube on Sunday mornings at 10 AM Pacific standard time. And of course that will change when the season starts still trying to work out that schedule, but, um, Big up to everybody who's participating on YouTube. Big up to Kenneth McNair Jr. who said he's been listening to us since 2011. Wow, man, that, that 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 is awesome. That's a decade, so big up to you. Big up to Ollie Howard, Species5618, and everybody jumping in. If you want to listen on podcast form, the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, in any platform that you may find in terms of podcasts. And the title of this week's program is I'm trying to channel my Perry Mason. (laughs) And I'm dating myself when I say Perry Mason because I'm sure anyone that's too young has no idea who Perry Mason is. In the case of Dwayne Haskins versus Mason Rudolph, and I want you to answer, Neil,
1: we find... Dwayne Haskins. Guilty of having a terrible game Friday night and losing any opportunity he might have had to be the backup this season. Ding, 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 ding. You win. That, that concludes our episode. <laughs> <laughs> we had it all set up to to, uh, to full disclosure for the audience. We had it all set up. We were going to do a, a, a final verdict, a final decision on Rudolph versus Haskins. I think it was five throws. Into Haskins' performance on Friday, I texted Lance and said, "Just never mind. I mean, <laughs> we'll we'll talk about it. We got to put a point on it." But um, Haskins was was outright terrible Friday night, Lance. I mean, really, it, that's the biggest game that he had. Obviously, hasn't, hasn't had many, but that that's the biggest opportunity that he had uh, to show his medal to show why it is he should be a candidate, not just for the backup job this year, but for the starter next year. And he completely bleeped the bed. I mean, it, it, he was awful. It was it was, to it it was bad enough of a performance, in my opinion, that it's really hard to ignore the struggles that he had prior to Pittsburgh. In other words, you know, we ignore the past, forget about that. We want to see what he can do when he's here with us. Now we can't ignore it. It was that bad. It was. I don't care who was on the field with him. I don't care about the play calling, which is what I heard from people. It's ridiculous. He, he couldn't deliver an accurate pass. He made poor decisions with the ball. He lost the ball. Uh, nothing about that performance suggested to me he should uh, be a backup, be the, the team's primary backup, and he's not going to be. That, that just did it. That's it.
0: Let me speak to Lee Pate's point, and I, I want to give a shout-out to my, my little cousin Kamal Williams-Hampton. Um, and in our discussion, with my discussion with my little cousin Kamal. Uh, he tried to lay it out in the sense that Haskins was operating against Carolina's ones, right? And because he was going against Carolina's ones, that there should be some consideration to that. And, and I think my point to my cousin was, football coaches aren't going to evaluate you based on that. They're going to evaluate you based on your play. And that's it. They're not going to complicate it with any other circumstance. You got an opportunity to play. And in fact, if you performed exceedingly well against their ones, it probably would have worked out better for you. So they really laid out the table for you and gave you an incredible opportunity to be the starter. And he failed. I mean, flat out. And I'll say it for you he shit to bed, or he came up a wee bit short. He was lacking when it came to time his time to perform. I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was preparation. I know his wide receivers did not help him. But regardless of all of that, he was given an opportunity to snatch the job, take the job, grab the bull by the horns. I'm trying to think of every cliche that I can think of. And he came up woefully short. I don't know why. I can't explain that. I can just see the result. And when your coach, the first word that they use in the press conference is disappointing. If you go look at the press conference, go look at the press conference. The first thing he said was disappointing. We did not play at a varsity level. Oh, it was bad. It, it was, he it called it a JV,
1: he called it a junior varsity level he usually yes. says the expectation is a varsity level performance he JV. called it a junior varsity level performance and it was i don't care who was on the field that's not what they're evaluating you're you're not game planning for the opponent you're it, it it's the the cliche that Tomlin would use it, it's nameless gray faces what they asked dwayne haskins to do was read what was going on the field and deliver the ball somewhere he failed to do that on his first like I think like five of his first seven passes were just bad. The throw to Watt, that's not a ball that you're asking your fullback to, to have to catch. He probably shouldn't tip, have tipped it up in the air the way that he did. The fact is, though, you're throwing to a guy across uh, to, from your in to your out, and you threw behind him when he's only six, seven yards away. He doesn't understand the, the arm strength that he has. He is not he, he didn't adjust that throw to that at all and he missed him badly. So he threw a bullet at his back shoulder. That's asking for a tipped pass that gets intercepted. That's exactly what it was. It makes no difference what def- what defense was on the field. makes no difference at all. It-, it shouldn't matter. He had opportunities to throw the ball deeper down the field. He never did. Um, he threw everything short. He threw inaccurately. Uh, he held onto the ball too long, in my opinion, in many cases. He played terribly. I, I- There's no other way to describe it. I mean, I don't want to make this big a deal of it, but the, the amount of people – that are giving him excuses for what he did. It, it just boggles my mind. You did not see a good performance. You can make up whatever you want in your head, but you did not see a good performance. And it, he's the challenger, not the champion. He has to rise above yes. what the champion did. Three he points. failed to do that, period. It makes no difference what you think of him long-term. It makes no difference what happened to him in Washington. He had the opportunity to stand up and, and really assert his claim for what everyone seems to think that, that he deserved for for what he's done in his career to this point, I, I'll never understand that. Uh, he failed to do that miserably. It's it's that simple. Yes, he did not step up and wear the
0: Ollie chair. He he didn't come into it with the Ali champion trunks on, with the black top trunks and the white trunks, the the classic Ali championship trunks. He, he he did not come in with the championship trunks, and he was given a great opportunity to beat out Mason Rudolph, because I think what Jim Wexel said on Twitter. Jim Wexel, uh, host of Steelers and City Insider, publisher of that, great friend of the program. He said it best. The opportunity was there for him to take it. And the funny thing is we've talked about how coaches grade out plays. If he makes the proper read and delivers the ball properly and the wide receiver drops the ball, he's going to get a positive grade for that play. That's the wide receiver is going to get a negative grade for the play. They're, they're they're evaluating did he according to the play did he make the proper read and deliver the football. If
1: he and on does on that, top of that, Lance, just well. to interject, if, if you are only looking at the stats, you're not evaluating it in in the proper context. I'm not talking about his stats. I haven't mentioned his stats at all. It, it's his decision making. It was his accuracy. It, it was atrocious. I mean, it was really really bad. By far and away, the worst performance that we saw. Uh, this offseason, and he was given ample opportunities. It's not like they held him back. Don't don't tell me about who was on the field when he can't throw the ball to, to somebody five feet away from him. Don't don't tell me that that's a, a product of what defense he's facing. It had nothing to do with it at all.
0: Let me, let's me let speak to, to Lee Pate's point, and big up to Lee Pate. Overall body of work, I got to go Haskins. Trade Rudolph or keep him on the practice squad. What about the overall body of work? Did he do enough to to really clean up a, a, I'm just going to say it, a shitty performance? Did he do enough over preseason? you're not at all. Look at that
1: performance and say, we'll excuse you for that. I think it was a team that had um, one obvious starting quarterback and two solid candidates for a backup quarterback. Most teams have one of each. You have a one, a two, and a three. The Steelers had, going into camp, two guys with uh, the, the the body of work to that point that justified a backup quarterback position and they were going to compete for it. What we saw out of Rudolph when he had his opportunity with the ones was somebody who, who fit the scenario. He worked with what he had. It, it fit. Um, Haskins got that opportunity and he looked worse than he has at any point uh, in the preseason. Really, that if you need to have it, it needs to be the other way around. He should have been at his best in that game. He had the most opportunity. He was going to play an entire half. If he mentally, if he's going to go into the game, that fired up, that it affected the result of, of his performance was determined by how jacked up he was for that game. He's not the guy that you want starting under center. I mean, really, he had the opportunity mentally to prepare for it. Um, it, I think if anything you, you could accuse him of being perhaps overexcited for for what he had to do um, that's that's a response to pressure as well and that that's not a good thing. he didn't earn it it's that simple he, he had the opportunity to make a, a claim if at the very least to make a claim and he put up a, a horrible performance so you, you can't ignore that in the grand scheme of things no more whatabouts no more buts no none of it you, you can't do it. I'm not happy overall, Lance. If Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt, you'll never knock me off that hill. I'm not happy about that situation. No, I don't no. really care which one it is, but since you have to pick one, it's clearly Rudolph now. Because more than anything, because of the performance that Haskins had, and secondly to that, Rudolph looked like he belonged there, at least to a to the point of a backup NFL quarterback. He looked like. I can handle this. I'm going to be able to do some things when I'm out here. I right. can execute on what needs to be there. I can even take advantage of a situation or two. We might be able to do something with that. There's no way you watched as as an objective evaluator. There's no way you watched Rudolph or Haskins' performance on Friday and thought, yeah, he's okay. We we can put him out there with everybody with the game on the line on on a, a regular season fourth quarter and be okay. There's no way anybody thought that. Yeah,
0: I think you would be very disingenuous. You would just have come in with the thought that you wanted Haskins to be the guy. Right, exactly. And I, and I think Ali Howard Species 56-118 said it best. Pressure, it makes diamonds, but it also breaks pipes. But not to to, to dump on the kid too much. I, I did think that Tomlin at the end of his press conference did give him um, a little bit of grace in the sense that it's going to take some time. Like he can sit yeah. back now, the pressure is off. He can prepare, get more comfortable in the offense, and play his way back. And I think he's still going to be given an opportunity to be the starter next year. So I I'm, a, I'm not I'm gonna... not saying cut him
1: either. I'm I'm just yeah. saying that he earned the third string quarterback job. They're going to keep three, just to, to add to this. I'm sorry, Lance, I don't mean to cut you off, but somebody had mentioned putting Rudolph in the practice squad. They're not going to put a quarterback in the practice squad. They're going to have three of them. Two of them will probably dress. I would imagine that that'd be my guess looking at the roster now, but they're going to have three on their, their game day roster. They're not going to expose um, and waste one of their protections to keep one of them there. Um, I guess out and out that wouldn't totally surprise me if they did, it'd be a move just for depth and the fact that they can protect and um, pull guys up on the practice squad again this season, like they did last year. But I don't think it makes sense to put one of them there. I don't think they need um, depth that badly across their team. I, I think all three QBs are going to be there. Dobbs is the one that's going to get cut, and they're not going to keep a fourth on the practice squad either. So let's, that's a great
0: segue. And you and thank you, Neil, for – you didn't cut me off, and, and it's fine if you do. Uh, but that's a great segue into our next topic of this show, the 53-man roster projections. And since you were talking about the practice squad – Why don't you break down the new practice squad rules for the listeners
1: and why they are significant this year? Well, they're new in the sense that um, they're not like they were in 2019. In 2020, they adopted this for uh, COVID uh, management reasons. They expanded it to 16 guys uh, for one. It used to be 10. 16 gives them, obviously, a much larger team uh to have at the ready in case you know something happens along with that they are allowing up to four guys this season to be protected on the practice squad which means another team can't take them um that's important in the sense that really what they're doing is putting a guy on the active 53-man roster without paying him. um I, the union is allowing that. I don't think that's something they want uh, long-term, although they would want a larger practice squad. We'll see how that shakes out next season. But um, those protections mean you can probably put a guy – Or I, 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 let me add this too. Uh, you can have also up to four guys that have more than two years of, of tenure in the NFL. What that means is before the rule was if you had two or more – Uh, years in the NFL with uh, accrued seasons, which is up to six uh, six games or more, I think counts as an accrued season. If you have two of those, uh, that means you cannot be added to a practice squad. You've graduated from practice squad status. Now you can have up to four, which means that if James Washington got cut, they could put him on the practice squad. Um, You'll see teams... a good example of this would probably be uh, Stefan Wisniewski last year. Everybody said, uh, well, he got hurt. The Steelers cut him with an injury settlement, and then he signed with Kansas City. He was on the practice squad the whole year, and he wouldn't be eligible in a normal year. He wouldn't have been signed anywhere else, and Kansas City just stashed him. Um, kind of wondered why Pittsburgh didn't want to do that. Maybe he didn't want to be in Pittsburgh. He'd rather be in Kansas City. Um Odds are you know, he felt they had a better chance of winning a Super Bowl uh, than than with Pittsburgh. Wouldn't surprise me. Good for him. He retired, by the way. Best of luck to him in in, uh, the next phase of his life as he gets on with his life's work. Um, Anyway, so they can protect up to four, and up to four can be players with unlimited amount of of tenure in the NFL. So it becomes a much more strategic play with your practice squad, and also um, it it probably means you're going to be able – to hang on to more of your players that you would want to keep now uh, this day every year lance is one that we get geeked up to go over our 53 man roster projection and talk about uh who we think they'll keep for the practice squad let the me steelers
0: you, before, before you continue let me ask let me ask you you think Antoine Brooks would be a player that they protect on their practice squad or if he gets to the um, squad.
1: Brooks was put on injured reserve. So with that, the, the process of That's this right. um, game seven for seven a player games. with under three years of experience in the NFL, they have to be exposed to waivers. What that means is it doesn't allow teams to just actively redshirt a player. Um, it gives them the opportunity to, to, to go right. somewhere else. Um, if they're not hurt all that bad and you wanted to keep them around for a year, you'd put them on injured reserve, which means now before the 53-man roster is set, if you go on injured reserve, you can't come off. You're there for the year. So the Steelers um, waive, they waived him with an injury designation, which means he's exposed to waivers. So 31 other teams in the NFL could claim him and his contract if they want to do that. He cleared waivers. So he reverts to the Steelers uh, injured reserve list, but, and here's the key thing that, that uh, gets confusing. Teams are able to reach an injury settlement with that player to release them outright. So the Steelers had a conversation with Brooks that said, we can pay you X to, to be off of our team forever. Now that you're on our injured reserve or, We can keep you on injured reserve for the year, which guarantees his contract, which uh, second year guy, sixth round pick. I want to say it's like eight hundred thousand, something like that. They did not release him with an injury settlement. They are keeping him on IR. The Steelers do not do that particularly often to, to younger guys unless it is a player that they really have something for. I think Brooks is, is worth bringing back. Um, I don't know what his injury is. And that, that's kind of the missing component of all this. Right. It's hard to break down the decision without knowing what his injury is. Be, um, he would be eligible to come back, what, Game 7? Was Is it Game 7? There are other factors that go into that. Um, It's three three now with the COVID rules. It would have been three if they kept him on uh, the 53-man roster, which they didn't. They wave injured him. So they're looking to bring him back uh, next season, really is what this means. He's probably not going to be healthy or he's going to be too far behind. So call it a red shirt. It's not designed to be like that, but – they had an opportunity. He had an opportunity to sign somewhere else. If he wasn't all that hurt, if it was a hamstring injury, he was going to be out for two weeks. Somebody else really wanted him. He had the opportunity to go somewhere else. Somebody else could have picked him up. Nobody did. So, reverting to uh, the Steelers injured reserve means he gets paid his full contract amount for this year, and they're keeping him instead of just letting him go. The vast majority of guys that get wave injured, uh, certainly with the Steelers, but pretty much around the league, if nobody claims them, Without reverting to injured reserve, they get a, a buyout. Basically, they're paid to go away. Right, right. Um, that's vast majority of the situation. That's what happens. And uh, the fact that the Steelers are not letting Brooks go, they're keeping him. It shows that they wanted him. Um, one of these days, we'll hear what what the injury was that he has. I don't know what it is today. Uh, they haven't disclosed that. It didn't sound like it was a significant injury. So, uh, if it is something though that was going to keep him you know it kind of slowed down for a month they probably wouldn't waste the roster spot with him he'd be too far behind at that point just put him on ir and we'll try again next year that that's more or less what they're saying but that's a good thing um i i really like brooks as a player i like what they had him do um i think they'd be a better team if he was in there but um doesn't always work that way guys get hurt so So, that's the situation they're in with that so let's jump to the fifty-three
0: man projections. You want to you want to jump. You want to do it on the offensive side or you want to do defense first? Your choice. Let's,
1: let's start offense. We usually go into offense. So let me give you. Um, I think it's so. I, so I
0: think it's really clear. Quarterback, they'll keep three. Um, yes, it'll be Ben. will be the one. Rudolph will be the two. Haskins will be the third quarterback. Now, it, all right. Let,
1: let's let's establish first off. This is not a, a positional depth chart situation. That yes. this yes. is the guys who play that position. Are gonna make the team. I don't I'm not getting into the numbered receiver system that doesn't exist in the NFL. He's not the one, the two, the three. That's not how that works. So I'm gonna ask
0: you though, but I am gonna ask you a couple of questions from a package perspective. Yeah. Personnel perspective. Like who will be the guys if they play 12? Who will be the guy? You know, something like that. We'll do that. And we
1: can do that. That's valid, but if that is package specific, it's not an order of priority the way that fantasy football has taught people that it is, there is no, no wide receiver one or whatever that garbage is. It's a matter of where they're playing on the field. And it's a matter of simplicity for fans who understand the game better through the lens of fantasy football. It's just, we don't discuss that kind of thing here. We're not going to. So don't think that the order of who I'm listing anywhere uh, matters. It really is just kind of slopped together um, knowing who the names are and kind of going down the priority list. And so we'll we'll flip flop it. So I'll start. I start
0: with quarterback. Um, if you have any objections to any of the three that I stated, just state them,
1: and, and we'll flip back and forth. So you you start with the running backs. Um, we're going to running backs because we we went through the quarterbacks, right? We got that established. Yes. Um, believe it or not, Lance Najee Harris is going to make this team. Um, I'm I'm good with him making it. Uh, Anthony McFarland, and here's kind of the thing that everyone's going to freak out about. I'm sure Benny Snell, and I'm putting. Um, Derek Watt as a running back, uh, playing a fullback, oh, tight right. end, sort of different position. We'll group him in with the running back. So four running backs. Uh, Benny Snell is is the main probably point of, of interest of this group. I'm going to say Snell because whatever it is, and I, I, it, I sat down this morning and lost more football knowledge than there. Mike Tomlin sat down this morning and lost more football knowledge than I'll ever have. I'm not questioning him. Whatever it is that he sees in Benny Snell, I don't see it. I just know that he sees it, and he, he has a, a lot of really positive stuff to say about Benny Stell, and he always has. I don't think he's going to cut him. I think he's going to keep him. Um, he does have some special teams utility. Kalen Balazs got beat badly to the inside on a, a punt protection assignment. You absolutely cannot do that in the NFL. It was really, really bad, and he held the guy. It's the only way that that punt wasn't getting blocked. He lost his chance, in my opinion, with that. Najee Harris is going to carry the ball at least 65% of the snaps that they run this season. Um, they don't really care so much who the better running back is. They need a guy who understands the offense, who can protect the passer, and can play special teams. Belage. He, he, not far from Haskins in my mind, he blew a significant opportunity to show value for that. I don't care what he did in, in you know in sporadic moments during the preseason. Kalen Balage is not any better of an NFL running back than, than Benny Snell is. And Benny Snell is the guy that they know. And Benny Snell is not the guy who had to blatantly hold a player to prevent a punt from being blocked. He can't block he can't protect in special teams. Uh, I don't know how good of a pass protector he is for third down situations, for specialty situations. They're not going to keep him. That alone is enough to get rid of him when you have a guy that you already know. Um, Kalen Balazs is not a great NFL running back, and, and the fact that Steelers fans think that it is it makes you wonder what it is that they're watching. He's not good. Uh, so I don't think Snell is good either. I think that Snell is the guy that they know, and Snell is the guy that, that's going to be able to contribute on special teams. Balazs can't do that. So now that, that pick of Snell,
0: and famously on my former program, I used to call Benny Snell. I used to do a play on his name. I used to call him Snell, S-N-A-I-L, that he was a snail. Benny Snell football, and that I, I've never really liked Benny Snell as a player, and uh, your your pick of Benny Snell is getting ripped. But this is what I'll say. I always look at it in terms of performance, pay, and pedigree. And I, I think when teams evaluate players, that always comes into play. They don't know
1: Bellage as a player, the Steelers. They saw him, they saw him one run. They forgot about five other ones that were just dog shit. And They'll so, forget about that because he gained seven yards on a carry once. In terms of performance, he doesn't have a body of work, and there's
0: not enough performance, I think, to overturn Benny Snell.
1: And they're both cheap, so that's negated. (laughs) That's really
0: it. We're talking about a
1: third running back here. I'm not predicting the guy's going to be the rushing champion, okay? So you need to cool it with the the bullshit about how bad Benny (laughs) Snell is. I'm not talking about a good NFL running back. I'm talking about a third-string running back who couldn't win the job last year to the point that the team just invested a first-round draft pick in a running back. Yes. And a, another fourth-round guy who was drafted two years ago is the second running back. Right, Benny Snell so. has had every opportunity to knock either one of them off that perch, or at the very least, knock the ones before him off that perch. He didn't accomplish it. But do you realize Kalen Balazs is playing for his fourth NFL team right now? Yes. There is a reason for that. It is not because he's a great player, okay? And I just pointed it out. I'm not sure why you don't you didn't notice this. He blew a protection assignment in on a punt. If he can't do that, what, what role does he serve for your team? He doesn't none. serve any. He serves they'll none. sign him off the streets if three guys get hurt. He's not going anywhere. He doesn't no, have he great didn't. value.
0: He's going to Whole Foods. And so with that being said, I'll use my three Ps. I'm going to agree with you that the full backslash running backs will be Harris, McFarland, Snell, and Watt. And they'll figure out in terms of, McFarlane or Snell if Najee Harris goes down and one of the things we talked about while we like Najee Harris is Najee Harris will be a three down guy he'll be exactly why they drafted him he'll be (laughs) didn't have to play their
1: third string running back anymore they got tired of that
0: (laughs) so let's flip to the tight end position I'm gonna give you Ebron Muth, and Gentry will be the three tight ends and if you agree with that who will be the tight ends? I think this is just easy to pick. Who will be the tight ends if they go with 12? I'm going to guess with Ebron and fryermooth if they play a formation of two tight ends on the field.
1: I, I definitely think um, Ebron and, and fryermooth are going to get easily the most amount of action. But I'm going to differ on you um, for the third guy. And this is because of 13 personnel, and it's because of special teams. Kevin Rader is my guy over Zach Gentry. And I, I understand everything you're saying about pedigree, and I agree with that. Usually don't give up on, on the draft pick over the undrafted guy, but Kevin Rader is hellacious in, in the blocking game. The guy gets after it. I can't ignore that. If I need a jumbo set, Raider is a much better option than, than Gentry is at this point. My opinion, um, that's one I could see me being wrong about. It wouldn't surprise me. But if it's me right now, I would rather have Kevin Rader because he provides a high-level ability that Gentry just doesn't do. Um, I don't need gentry on the field for anything. I'm a better blocking team if Kevin Rader is on the field over even Ebron or Frymouth. He's a better blocker than either one of them. That has to be a key special teams player as well. Your third tight end needs to be a key guy in, in protection and kicks. So I, I'd rather have Rader. Now here's the argument. Rader's not going to get picked up anywhere. Um, he could very easily be a practice squad guy. Exactly. Wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. Um, it's weird, but Gentry, for some reason, because he was drafted, uh, has, has probably more of an opportunity to get picked up somewhere else. That said, Raider played with... He was with the Raiders, wasn't he? I think he was at, at one sure. point. Um, he's he's good at, what, at at what's becoming a lost art in the NFL, that the, the pure blocking tight end. Uh, he's really good at that. I think short yardage, he could have a role uh, with the offense. I don't see Gentry having that. But at the same time... Because you can call up two players in the practice squad and keep a 55-man roster for games this year, Raider could be a practice squad guy uh, who who bounces up and down. I could see them wanting to do that. So I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I if nothing else, I wanted to put him on here because I wanted to talk about Kevin Raider and the, the phenomenal training camp and preseason that he had. Really quickly, and from what I've been told, and I've, I've I have
0: not been privy to the discussions, obviously, but what I've been told is... The discussions about the roster pretty much sound like this when they're discussing the 53 man roster and they're trying to fill out the roster is you have coaches advocating for certain guys, head coach, a position coach, and guys are going back and forth and it gets heated as to how they're going to form formulate the roster, who they want to pick and guys advocate and vigorously fight for their guys.
1: Yeah, very much. Um, there is a lot of personal equity that goes into a lot of these picks. And these are things that we can't, you know, it's not going to be obvious or apparent to us. That's the case not to dip back into this, but Benny Snell probably has something similar to that fifth round pick, not a marquee guy, Mike Tomlin seems to praise him. In a pretty inordinate way. I mean, we, we don't we don't see him praising guys like that all that often. I, he seems to be personally invested in Benny Snell. I, I don't know why. I'm I not here bet. to tell you why, but he I, seems I would, to like the guy. I would bet
0: it's his it's his approach. I mean, I haven't seen him practice, obviously, but you know, because he hasn't my,
1: practiced, that's another yeah. problem.
0: You know, just in my <laughs> it's experience, usually a bad you know, thing. You know, in my experience, guy coaches like guys who are all in. You know, coaches like guys that are all in, if you literally tell them jump off a bridge, they'll jump off a bridge and say, is there another bridge I can jump off of? <laughs> and that, you know, guys like guys that are like, you know, just insanely loyal to what the coach is asking them to do and commit it and, and they go all in. It feels like he must have positive football character that Tomlin really appreciates. Let's jump to the wide receiver position, and I'm going to toss it to you. Give me your wide receivers, Neil.
1: I don't think any surprises here. I don't think there were really any positions up for, for a, a real competition this year anyway. Um, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, and Ray-Ray McLeod. Um, we get into the depth of five guys at what's essentially three different receiver positions and this is where it gets kind of funky it's not uh Deontay's the one Juju's the two Chase is the three Chase Claypool plays a completely different position than Deontay Johnson does Deontay Johnson is your the way that they use him he's your quintessential Z receiver that's a guy that can be on either side of the formation strong or weak he can be on the line he can be off the line he's a guy very often goes in motion if you're running motion stuff that's not jet sweep related in fact That's why the jet sweep is a big deal. It's because it's your split end going in motion. You don't usually do that. Point is, the Z receiver is your versatile guy. Uh, He runs all routes at all distances. He's the guy that you're probably going to get the ball to the most on positioning more than anything else. Uh, Chase Claypool is your X. Your X receiver is tethered to the line of scrimmage, and he's usually on the wide side of the field. That's your guy that that makes plays outside the numbers. He handles single coverage probably the most often. He's your big dude. Most most often, if you have that advantage, he's your big dude. Plexico Mm -hmm. Burris is as standard an X receiver in the NFL as you'll ever see. Martavis Bryant was built to be an X receiver. Um, Different guys play different positions. That's not a question of targeting. It's not a question of priority. Some dudes just play this position and they happen to get the ball more. The Steelers offense, certainly with Antonio Brown, Hines Ward, these guys were the most targeted from the Z position. So that's just the way they've done things uh, usually. Johnson is probably going to get the most targets because Johnson really should be the best all-around receiver that they have. I think this year, Lance, it might be Claypool. And the the limited time that we saw uh, Claypool in preseason, he looked like a freak. I mean, he looked a lot better than he looked last year. So – uh, I'm excited to see how they're using uh, Claypool versus Johnson, how they're lining up in different spots, which brings us to this. It was really interesting third, on, on Friday because we saw Claypool and also a similar ex-receiver, James Washington, on the field together. Washington yes. was playing in a slot. Yeah, I was intrigued that, that's, by that. That's kind of a natural thought that you might get with Washington, given his build, his size. He's really an inch shorter than Juju. Otherwise, they're the same guy. Uh, Why isn't Washington ever playing in the slot? Why was he always on the outside? Could he do both? My first thought was, are they looking for a way – to remove Ray-Ray McLeod, who frankly has not had a good preseason, and he did not have a good game on Friday either. I don't know how much Ray-Ray even gets the ball anymore within this offense, but he's probably the best return man. Um, The issue I would say is what they're experimenting with is maybe you could have Washington be a backup slot guy and then um, remove Ray-Ray from the team and bring in Matthew Sexton. But then Matthew Sexton had a, a nightmare game. Uh, and he's already been cut. So, unfortunately for him, that didn't work out. I think that these are the five they're going to keep. Um, and uh, Washington is the guy they might move around into different positions. But your top three are going to be your top three ta- uh, targeted wide receivers. That's clearly Johnson, uh, Juju, and Claypool. So,
0: let me say, uh, let me explain something that Neil said earlier. Neil said 13 personnel, and that is one running back and three tight ends. So, yeah, sorry that would, about that. I, you, I meant to
1: explain that after our rants last week. I went ahead and did exactly yeah, what I said we wouldn't do. Yeah, sorry, and,
0: and that would be one wide receiver. But, but, but let's break it down. I, I think there's a little nuance in terms of the five wide receivers, so let's just do it simply this way if they put two wide receivers on the field, who do you think it'll be? Um,
1: okay, I want to be clear on this, it is not a priority based on ability. If they have two wide receivers on the field, that means they have two running backs and or two tight ends. The formations alone would mean one of those receivers has to be off the line and one has to be on the line because of that. My guess would be uh, Johnson and Claypool. They're not going to run a slot receiver, a slot receiver if they have two tight ends and they're probably not, there has to be a tight end on the field if you have two receivers. So you're not going to have a slot slot would be the one that's out. Um, They could put, juju on the line over claypool i probably wouldn't do that my my guess would be that package johnson and claypool but i could give you a package in which it would be johnson and juju as well i agree so let's go with three wide receivers three then you do have a slot um, which is to say an inside receiver um typically juju could be on or off the line. I'm, I'm thinking hard on this. Um, with three receivers, though, Juju's going to have to be off the line given the, the, the strength of the formation. But they could put Twins on a non-tight end um, formation next to each other. They wouldn't put him inside on his own. That would be Claypool. He would have to be on the line. Juju would be off the line on the twin side with Johnson – in a, a, a three receiver package, which would probably be formulated as 11 personnel. So, so it, it'd be Juju Johnson and Claypool. So I'm going to stop at four wide
0: receivers because they typically don't do it. And I think that the nuance here with James Washington is how does Washington slot into that rotation of three wide receivers and how will his targets increase? And I think that's going to be the interesting thing when you look at the wide receiver position and how is it going to work out? Let's jump to offensive line. I'm going to go with the following. I say they keep nine. I'm going to go with Banner, Turner, Green, Dotson, Chooks, or Chucks, Moore, Junior, Finney,
1: uh, Coward, and Hassenhauer. Um, yours, the difference yours and mine would be Coward versus Haig. Um, I don't think they signed Hag. To have him not the the contract they gave Haig was bigger than the one they gave Coward. I think Haig probably is is the better option. Um, your backup swing tackle. Although I will say I don't think Dan Moore as much as I've been uh, uh, praising him this preseason. He didn't look all that good at right tackle on Friday night. Um, I'll say this though I don't and nobody looked good on offense Friday night. It, it was a, a horrible display of everything. I don't want to put all of my my stock into that. Um, I don't think they brought Hague in to cut him. I don't think that was a competition uh, beyond where in the rotation he might be. And that was going to be up more to the rookie, uh, Dan Moore, than it was Joe Hague. Um, if anything, Friday night might have said Hague would be the guy that they'd, they'd count on to be a backup, um, to, to be the swing tackle before Moore. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. There's a long season ahead of us. They, they could switch at some point. Um I will admit that as a North Dakota State alumnus, I absolutely want Joe Haig to, to succeed and do really well, get paid a lot of money, especially as a Steeler. Um, I, I, I honestly think he's the best option for them um, right away, at least uh, over Cowart. Uh, we'll see what they do with Cowart. Maybe he's a guy that they want to keep on, on the practice squad because it's not a deep offensive line. This isn't a good offensive line. There's not a real strong separation, I think, between the first team tackles and the second. Um, they're not particularly good uh, out on the edges, and that, that's that's going to be a continuing theme this season, I think. So you use my performance pay pedigree
0: formula. Who wins that, mm-hmm. Haig or Coward?
1: Um, based on that, I think – God, that's tough. It, it, it'd it be Hague for me. The question, though, is where is more in all of this? Haig fits somebody – who you need to have be a backup in case something happens in the middle of the game. He's the veteran. He knows what to do. You don't necessarily want the rookie to get thrown into the fire. So you need to have both of them. You kind of need the lead horse and Hague to push more along. To me, Hague versus Cowart is a battle of who is going to kind of pace Dan Moore for next season. I think they brought in Hague to do exactly that. Okay, and a coward. If anything, was brought in hoping to be a fire or a four position guy, an inside outside guy. I don't think that he lived up to that. Uh, I wasn't overly impressed with him. I get that Joe Haig didn't set the world on fire in, in many fans' estimation either. Uh, they just they don't have good tackles. Uh, that that's where they are. They they didn't have the money to bring in good tackles. They didn't have great draft pedigree to bring in good tackles. This is just where they are. And big up to Emily. Go buy some. Go buy them. Yeah. Go yeah. buy them.
0: Big up to Emily with the with the uh, I've never figured out how to do that how to do the uh, colored heart emojis. I'm emoji challenged. I'm I think challenged. she's an
1: expert of YouTube or something.
0: I, I'm challenged with um, and, and welcome Emily. I think you're a first timer on the live on the live chat. So big up to you. Big up to all the ladies who hop into the program. Ladies always get bumped to the first in line with questions. <laughs> so Emily. Ah, uh, keep firing the questions. We'll get to yours before everyone, and please spread the word of the show, especially to Bison Nation, because uh, our co-host is a proud Bison. Yes, ooh, I see you. College football is back, and I watched nothing <laughs> right. yesterday. Although yeah. I did watch a little bit of um, Alcorn State versus North Carolina Central. Uh, uh, that, was, that was that was a good game, a good game. So let's jump to the defensive side of football.
1: You start us off, Neil, with the defensive line. Um, defensive line. This this could go one of a of, of twenty different ways. I think this is going to be the domino that affects what they're really trying to do on special teams. Um, it, it's it's kind of a linchpin position for that. So I, I Cam to it, Tyson Lulu, um, Chris Warmly, Isaiah Bugs. Um, I'm going to go with we're, – we're keeping Isaiah Loudermilk, who's my new favorite player, by the way, as much as I bashed that pick back in the day when yes, we, when we first started the show. <laughs> laughed about it, joked about it. That he, that kid's going to be good. I really like him. Um, you're keeping him for sure because you want to protect him more than anything. Somebody else would take him at this point. I'm going to keep, for now, Henry Mondu. And the reason I'm doing that is pretty much entirely special teams. I think Carlos Davis is a better player. I don't think they need Davis – um, I don't think they need Davis as much as they're going to need Mondu on special teams. Bugs is the better kind of run penetrator guy. Davis is, is probably a better pass rusher. But for me, I've got Loudermilk for that. I think Loudermilk can play inside and out. I think he's going to be a guy that they develop along those lines. Davis just becomes the odd man out, but he is absolutely somebody they would love to have in the practice squad because I think they're going to want a total of eight defensive linemen. Uh, working in on uh both uh the interior and exterior of their defensive line if not nine guys I've got him with seven for or, excuse me eight for now um it, it, mondu just he's a special teams guy above anything else they're gonna need him there
0: who was your eighth because I, I I got you with Hayward, word to it wormley mondu
1: louder milk bugs who was your eighth I meant seven okay I, seven. I, yeah, I, I caught I, I... myself in saying that I don't know i I thought I had eight. I had seven. I counted it up this way um, for a reason. Mondu is the guy that you're keeping and Davis is going to be the notable cut there. I'm good with that. And this is, you know, you're obviously you're keeping warmly. I like bugs there. And then your starters, Um, I would say this though, maybe this is why eight is on my tongue. I don't know what the deal is with Stefan to it. I don't know about you. I heard the other day, he might not even be ready for week one.
0: Yeah. if That's the case. I don't know what you're
1: going to do. I don't know what his deal is. Um, I, I know this. They would not have restructured his contract and guaranteed his money this season if they didn't expect him to play, at least by week one. So I don't I don't know. I mean that, that could be a shocking move too. Maybe, maybe he's gonna go to the IR. I'm not sure. Um, it would definitely mix some stuff up. They would need to make a move uh pretty quickly if if Tewit is is unable to play or is not playing. Keep in mind he was at practice. He ran. He was running alongside Watt. That's what we heard every day. Watt and it are outside doing sprints again. Watt, you understand, you know the the contract position that he's in. He wasn't practicing. it they kept saying, you know, he, he's grieving the loss of his brother. It's like, okay, but he's still at practice. Why is? I don't know. I, I don't want to get too far into that. It's just the situation seems strange to me. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but perhaps that's a liability and that's something they need to do something about. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to put Stephon it on injured reserve. But what I do know is uh, in order to be brought back off of injured reserve, he needs to make the 53 man roster. And this year they can bring a guy from injured reserve back after three weeks. So if it's an extended problem. It wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if they, they put him on the team right away and put him on IR at some point and bring somebody else back. I'm not sure who that would be.
0: That's interesting about the three weeks. And the significance of two it, of course, you know, potentially not being able to start the season is, you know, he's one of your best defensive linemen and he plays in all packages. So he's gonna play in nickel, he's gonna play in dime, he's gonna play in any way that they in base, he's gonna play a majority of the snaps. And so you know, having to replace him in the short term will be a significant loss. Let me jump to the linebacker position. I got Watt, Highsmith, Ingram, and Jones. you have any disagreements there?
1: Um, I'm going to add a fifth if we're talking outside linebackers. I'm going to put five on there, uh, again, for a, a, a special teams reason more than anything. And I hate to say this. It, it, it is purely special teams. But mine is going to be Watt, Hightower, Ingram, obvious. Uh, I'm going to keep Cassius Marsh for now. I I don't like that, but it's a special team's body that they're going to need. Most of this is because Jameer Johnson outplayed Quincy Roche, Roche. It's that I think is the surprise. Nobody is really kind of mentioning. You have the the rookie six round pick and you have Jones from nowhere. Really Jones outplayed all three of the guys I just talked about. I have to put Jones on the team because of that. I don't know where Roche is as far as a special teams player because he didn't do anything when he was doing it. I've got to keep Marsh. So really Jones is the guy that that is going to keep Roche off this team. Now I like Roche. I think he's the guy that you get on the practice squad pretty much right away because he's going to jump off and on. It's going to come down to how well he can play special teams if he wants a a rotating position. But you've got Jones for that. And Jones proved to be a, a much better player at this point in his career. I think both of them had good camps. I thought both of them looked good in preseason, but Jones, Jones just made plays on special teams and on defense. I, I love the guy. I think he might be their third, third their third linebacker, outside linebacker uh, most of this season. I think they're gonna start with Marsh um, for team's ability, which he's shown he can show up and not screw up, which is probably the highlight of his career. And he's been there before. So your your uh, production pedigree pay thing, Marsh is, is sort of the guy that, that gets a bump in those areas because he's been out there and done that before. That will change, though. Um, I really like what we've seen of Jones to this point, and I, I like Quincy Roche as well. But overall, I've got to keep Marsh and, and Jones over him. But with the
0: performance pay pedigree metric, it, there's, there's shades of it. So sometimes it all evens itself out if, if there isn't obvious differences in those. When they're relatively the same, they net themselves out. And then you just go with who's obviously the better player. So those are the outside linebackers. Again, I had Watt, Highsmith, Ingram, and Jones. You added another player. Let's go to
1: the inside linebackers. Give me your inside linebackers. My inside now, linebackers, and this this part is another trouble area, but I only kept four because I kept another outside linebacker, right. again, for special teams. Um, that might be a problem because where we sit today, we don't know where Marcus Allen is with injury. I think that might be a problem for him. But uh, for me <clears> – <throat> um or did i go with five bush Schobert, spillane allen and johnson i kept five johnson is i think the most vulnerable on this and the reason i'm keeping johnson that's what it was is because i'm not sure where allen is injury wise they're going to want to put both of them on the roster um johnson's going to be really tough i'm not sure i'm not sure how viable it is to keep him i really like where he's going he clearly needs a year uh at least he's got to get bigger um, there are shades of his game that you really like, but he's he's a fifth-round pick. Um, it, it, you want to invest in him, and I think that's part of why I would want to keep him now. Um, but Allen is going to be a core special teams guy. I think Allen is is the better player after you know four camps. He should be the better player. I'm not sure where he is with injury. I'm going to keep them both for now, and, and we'll see where that ends up. I'm going to disagree with you on Johnson. Because,
0: one, he was a fourth-round pick. We always confuse that. Um, He was a fourth-round pick. And I I think because of pedigree alone, and he's a physical freak, they're going to keep him. I I think they're going to put some coaching into Johnson, and they're going to keep him on the roster. Uh, I I think they like his physical makeup, and I think his pedigree is going to be one that keeps him on the roster. But I don't think he's going to impact the team tremendously either way. Yeah. I do, you think, do you think if he did get waived, he's a guy that could clear waivers and make it to the practice squad? Or is
1: he a guy that gets scooped up in waivers? I After his preseason, if they're looking at where he is, they know his size. Um, I, think, I don't think anybody would pick up his rookie contract. I think a lot of teams would want to sign him to their practice squads. Um, that then becomes a, a competition of uh, money to some degree and availability. Maybe Buddy Johnson absolutely hates Jerry Olsofsky. I don't know. Maybe he just hates it in Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, he might want to go somewhere else if he has the opportunity. Um, I don't think anybody would pick him up off waivers. I You never know if a guy wants to sign on the Steelers practice squad or the Steelers don't want to sign him to their practice squad. We never hear about that. We just know that he didn't sign and we know that somebody did sign. So um, I, I think you're right on with him. And I, I think long term um you you drafted a guy you write fourth round i don't know why i keep forgetting that it definitely adds to the to the case of keeping him on the roster i think he's not the fourth round pick that you cut but he's the fourth round pick you draft knowing he's not going to be a big contributor in your right and they, right, they had right. to have known that he's just, he's not big enough you can see that but he's got a nose for the football um developing guy i really like him as a player i think they're going to keep him so let's jump into, and then we're going to ask
0: some sub-package questions. I'm going to give you the corners. Hayden, Sutton, Pierre, Lane, Millett. And is there a... And so I also have new player as my sixth corner. So I, I, I'm confused as to who would be the sixth corner. But I do
1: have them with six corners. Who are, who are hmm. your cornerbacks you're keeping? Uh, I'm keeping the same as you. I don't have an extra spot, though. I I... It could happen. I can't say that it won't happen. The Steelers have certainly added cornerbacks uh, during and after training camp plenty of times over the years. Uh, you could never anticipate that, though. You don't know who it's going to be that gets cut elsewhere. They're going to take a look, and they'll they'll take whatever uh, opportunity they have to make their team better. Um, considering kind of the hit they took with Brooks, um, Mallette, in my opinion, was kind of up and down as a nickel Um, to the point where if they want to move Sutton inside and bring Pierre onto the field because he's their their third best cornerback, I don't know how much they want to do that. Uh, I don't think it's an ideal situation for them. If they find a good inside cornerback who could step in and play right away, uh, perhaps better than Mallette, I could see them doing that. But they're going to keep five for now and see what happens from there. You never know who's going to get released. My point is they're not planning on it. That, that's not a strategy that they have. It, it fully depends on who's out there. You know, if, if it's – of course, I'm not going to think of anybody right now. But you remember Bryce McCain back in the day. Bryce yeah, McCain yeah. did a great job in Pittsburgh as an inside guy. Um, easily the most success that he had in his career was in Pittsburgh. Um, they didn't know he was going to be available, and then he was, and they, they got him for cheap. So it, an opportunity like that comes up, I, I think they'd exploit it. But it depends on who that is. Let me shift to give me your safeties.
0: Let's shift to the safeties. Give me your
1: safeties. Um, I'm going to take Minka and Edmonds and uh, Killebrew, and I'm going to keep Trey Norwood. Okay, i um, I've, I ripped Norwood many times, and frankly, Norwood deserved to be ripped <laughs> for for some of what he did. File him under the Buddy Johnson guys that I hope don't have to contribute this season. Squad. Um, I want <laughs> to keep him on the active roster. Because I need to develop the depth that I have. I'm losing, a, most likely losing a safety next year. Um, Minka's under contract for two years. Miles right. Killebrew is always a step away from from not being NFL worthy anymore. You've got to develop a guy with your active team. That's a great, your, that's your a great fourth point. safety, uh, and he can play special teams. Uh, Long-term, I really like Norwood as a sub-package player. I I think he has a lot of what the team wants to do. Match zone with man experience. Not a single high guy, but he can play down closer to the line. He's shifty inside. He can be their nickelback at some point. I could see them wanting to do that, uh, play him inside straight up on on a receiver. Um, Where he is today is not quite his highest end, but I'm going to keep him and, and continue to develop him.
0: I think we agree on the specialist Boswell, Harvin the third. I can't pronounce
1: the last last name. Is it Kennedy, the long snapper? The the uh, I'm putting Christian Coons on that team. Oh, really? Over Re- Kennedy, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? That's so cost more than anything. Okay. Um, it's it, here's the thing: when you change out your punter, you oftentimes change out your long snapper. Oh, okay. Um, if you really like your punter enough to say draft him, um, not a whole lot of punters get drafted. If you really like that, you're going to kind of weigh in on the guy that, that he's getting the ball from um, on top of that. It's also important because we don't know hundred percent how good um, uh, it, Harvin is going to keep wanting to call him Percy. Harvin. <laughs> Presley Harvin is going to be in handling um, uh, handling duties. You know, he's the guy holding on place kicks. So the, the, what do you want to call it? The chemistry uh, between
0: a, yeah, the long snapper
1: and the punter is very, very important because the punter is getting the ball to hold for the kicker and getting the ball before he kicks. He's going to have some say in who that is. Um, I think we saw him with Koontz often enough reports that we heard really was the Koontz was doing a good job. If that's too much for Kennedy at this point, it uh, cost becomes an issue with that as well. Um, you're going to save a few bucks by not paying, uh, a million dollars for the veteran exemption and, and go with the younger guy who worked, seemed anyway, worked uh, more often with Harvin.
0: Let's jump into the the last piece of this. When we're talking about sub package football, there was a lot of discussion on Jim Wexel's site, uh, com, from Butler and from Austin to the primary defensive coaches about the Steelers, not being able to play dime. I didn't believe that, or I don't believe that. Who are are the – what does Dime look like? Let me just ask it this way. What does Dime look like from the outside – from the linebacker position, excuse me, and the secondary? Who are the Dime guys? Who plays in Dime, and who plays in nickel? Because what they were trying to say was they don't have the corners to play in Dime. But my thought was they better have the corners to play in dime because
1: if they have to face four wide receivers, I mean, they're just going to get destroyed. Uh, um Yeah. I, I think we have several clips of Robert Spillane trying to cover receivers to, to hang our hats on as far as what they shouldn't do. Um, Okay. Your, your basic, let's start with the nickel easier to explain a nickel. That, that's five defensive backs. Five defensive We're backs. at a point in the NFL that five defensive backs is more of your base it's than it is base. a sub package. So the reality is, uh, the Steelers are going to have far more non-starting defensive backs play more snaps than non-starting linebackers will or defensive linemen. So what that really means is they're putting more coverage guys onto the field. That That's NFL football today. It's very easy. Your nickel package is defined as this fifth defensive back who comes onto the field first. Secondly, Different packages take off a linebacker out of that, and different packages take off a defensive lineman for that. Depends on what you want to do. Depends on down and distance. It depends on your opponent. What Mike Tomlin has hinted at a couple times is um, the versatility of nickel packages. With that, we're going to dip into dime a little bit. Do we want to define dime as six defensive backs, or do we want to define dime as five non-defensive backs? What I mean by that is the Steelers can play with three safeties on the field along with their regular nickel package and call it a dime package. Is that really dime, though? What it means is they're putting a safety at the line like he's a linebacker. That is Marcus Allen. That is what Antoine Brooks was doing. Are it, it, it is the common nomenclature for these positions today – fitting for what teams are going to do. That's what I would argue with, with Jim Wexel, who's a legend in my mind, one of the best reporters this city has seen. He's great. But are, are we asking, can they play traditional dime? Or are we asking, are they doing something different? My opinion, Norwood, Brooks, Killabrew to some degree, these guys are brought in to be sub package players. I'm not sure if it's dime or nickel. I'm not sure it matters. I think they want to beef up against the run and they want to be able to handle interior receivers. That's a much different position than playing on the outside. Okay. To call it a cornerback is obviously misleading because they're well, not cornerbacks. They're not on the corner. They're they're a slot defensive back. Norwood, I think, can play that. They wanted Brooks to play that. They signed Mallette to play that. These are are more um run defense. Well, I don't want to say that. Norwood isn't the biggest guy, but Brooks was a, a versatile. Uh, defensive back, who could play on the line or back. So the the tweener idea, uh, where does he fit in, is what's important here in my opinion. Dime, you can play with three safeties and three cornerbacks on the field. They are able to do that. Let me ask it this way. Who are the
0: guys that will play in either? I'm guessing (laughs) it's Schobert, Hayden, Sutton, Fitzpatrick, and Edmonds. That in any any way you configure it,
1: those five guys will play in all those packages. I think that's fair, yes. I, I would say that. Um, you might see a wrinkle somewhere in there um, to get another safety on the field. And that's uh, Norwood. That would be Norwood, I guess. I wouldn't want Norwood to be on the field, but I think he would be there You'd probably bring in another corner. I mean, it's just the, the point that I'm really trying to make here is that there is a third position. That's a move that, that's emerging in all of this. There is a more traditional safety. There is an outside cornerback and there is an inside defensive back between those three. You're going to define what your nickel and your dime is. So in, in this case, I think you have three cornerbacks that I, I would feel comfortable with going on the field right now. That that's, you know, Joe Hayden, obviously cam sutton obviously and james pierre i like what i saw in pierre pierre is an outside cornerback just like joe hayden is sutton can play inside or out so using the versatility that they have what mixture of probably cornerbacks are you going to play behind pierre i think that's what wexel is asking your dime package you typically bring in a cornerback right do they have another right. one behind him do they like mallet that much um, I would argue that while it's not going to be Killebrew covering in the inside, Killebrew can play back. Why couldn't you move Minka down? They haven't done that yet. How many times yeah. have we talked about that? Could Minka play inside? These are the kinds of wrinkles I think that are going to define what the Steelers sub packages are going to be this season. I think and we're going to see was, those types of things more often than we have in the past. And Wex was
0: hinting at that as well, that they could weaponize Minka mm-hmm. to being the dimebacker. Sort of like I can't remember the name of the secondary player that went to Cleveland that they brought in. Morgan Burnett. Kind of, Morgan Burnett, kind of yeah. playing that weaponize him and play that Morgan <laughs> that Burnett weaponized
1: role. role that's failed I mean, yes. <laughs> every yes. iteration of it. We've got Burnett, we've got uh, Mark Barron, we've got um, what's his name, the other dude that the other linebacker. Um, that might be the answer
0: there, though, because they've tri- <laughs> they tried they they they've, they've clearly wanted to do that. By getting a smaller versatile
1: player inside.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it's so, the idea
1: is you want a run supporter at the line, so you can't run the slot down to get rid of this guy from that area and run behind it. That's why a a, a JK Dobbins has six yards of carry. He's running behind situations more than anything else, not through the line, through gaps in in you know outside of the, the tackle box. You don't want to get run off the field because of that. You can cover the receiver, read, run, and be able to jump in and attack it and, and at least take up a blocker. You've got to be kind of the big guy to do that. Um, the Steelers would be able to do that to some degree. Um, that would require taking Minka out of the middle of the field. I don't know how much I like that. I just, you know, we, We've just heard it ever since Minka got there. At some point, they're going to bring him down to the line. Um, we haven't seen that yet, but at some point I just, I, I can't give up the idea that they're not going to do that yet. I think
0: the beauty in all this before we get out of here on the program is it feels like the Steelers have some options. And I think the Steelers, the coaches will probably make it a lot less complicated probably than we're making it. And they'll just figure out in terms of the corners and safeties who are the best players. And then they'll figure out how to, to, uh, to, to put them in the right places. Cause if you have a guy that's not say you have the your corners we're talking about you have one guy the coaches clearly don't think is better than another guy he's not going to be part of the sub package question so they'll just figure out the packages for the best players that they have and they'll do it that way they'll kind of they'll kind of let who are the best players determine what the packages are so what i'm trying to say is they won't pick package over performance so they won't go with a package to play a package and put a bad player in that package just to play it. They'd rather not do that and play the best players, but they're going to have to find some iteration of dime. The suggestion that they won't play dime is not truthful. I think and them hinting at that, I think is to keep maybe teams guessing as to what they're going to do. So before we get out of here, what do you got for the fans on, on the uh, on the network this week? In terms we're we're going to cover a lot of
1: cuts. We're going to cover a lot of um, uh, the, the preseason action ends tonight. Of course, we're going to cover that. Go through cuts and get ready for the first preseason bye week uh, before launching into the regular season. Um, it's going to be fun. It, it's, uh, it's an exciting time of the year. There's going to be a lot. We're going to see trades. We're going to see um, if. For the sake of the live show, for those who are out there, we're going to see things like the Houston Texans trading Shaq Lawson to the Jets, which they just did. That just broke. Um, absolutely hysterical considering the, the size of salary cap bath that the Texans are taking to get Lawson off of their roster. I can't imagine anybody would want him uh, if a team is willing to to lose that much to get rid of him. Um, but what a what a fun year to be a Texans or a Jets fan. <laughs> It's just awful. Um, Yeah, check us out, see what we can do, and um, we'll be there for every step of it. And and
0: before we get out of here, I hate to give gambling advice because, (laughs) hey, I'm not a gambler. I don't gamble on professional sports typically because I've known enough athletes to not do that. And I'm just going to keep it there. What I will say, though, is I may gamble. I may take the points for the Texans the whole year. I think the Texans are going to get absolutely destroyed this year. I think they're going to have an opportunity to go uh, winless this year. And I I, I would take points for the Texans every single year. But with that, we're going to get out of here. And again, if you're in the path of Hurricane Ida, please be safe. Do what your local municipality is asking you to do. Hopefully, you're following the news and have followed the news and you're able to hunker in place. You have your supplies and your food and if everything. None of this is worth losing your life for, so make sure you listen uh, to what your local leadership is telling you, and please be safe so you can make it to the football season and enjoy Steeler football. But with that, we're going to conclude the program, and as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Thank you once again.